I have a massive problem with labels. This applies down all paths, and I'm going to give you a couple of different sort of entrances to the problem. But let's take mental illness, for example. Let's say you're diagnosed with depression. What is depression? Well, like any other mental illness, it's a collection of symptoms expressed to a certain degree over a certain period of time that have a certain impact upon you, right? You go to the doctor and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm dealing with that. This is an issue. I can't quite do X, Y, Z. The doctor looks up the, the book, the DSM-5 or 6 or whatever it's up to, and says, well, hey, looks like you might have depression. Let's do some tests. You do the tests and wham, bang, you've got yourself a diagnosis. This data then helps to inform your treatment. It helps to inform your government. This many people have depression and people with depression need these sort of resources. And in general, these sort of treatments work for people with depression, just like you. That all seems fine and dandy. And from a global macro perspective, from a governmental perspective, from a treatment perspective, from an organizational systems perspective, that all makes sense. I can't think of a better way to approach it, right? Because you need to be able to synthesize data to objective measures. This many people suffer from this condition, right? Thus, this much money needs to be allocated to deal with it. We've got a limited pot. Where are we going to put our money, right? But the problem comes when you zoom into the individual level, the person who's been diagnosed with depression. Now, remember, this this is applying to depression, but it could be any mental illness. And then later in the discussion, we're going to apply it to things that go beyond mental illness. But just hold that in mind. So you've got the diagnosis. And what happens? Well, now you know that you, quote, have depression. You're no longer as much thinking about how to address each symptom, right? It's not just about dealing with the, the, the lack of motivation, the sex drive, the, the energy, whatever the symptoms that you have are. Because remember, depression is a collection of symptoms altogether, right? And it, you, to, to get the diagnosis of depression, you don't have to fit every single one of them. It's a, it's a range. You might need, say, seven out of the nine or to a certain degree. So what that means is that if you have depression, so do I. What we actually are feeling and experiencing are different. And this is true for all mental conditions, right? So the problem comes when you start looking up advice, help, support from other people with depression. Their depression, what they have, isn't what you have. Yes, you both have the same label, but what you are feeling is fundamentally different because it's happening to you, right? Let's go beyond the idea or the issue with words. Because... Words are a poor medium of understanding anything. Sounds ironic coming from a podcaster and a poet and a writer, but I have an idea in my head that's transmitted through space, through time, picked up by your headphones or however you talk to me, and then you have to interpret those things back into meaning. It's a coding issue, right? Words are a very good way of communication, but they're not perfect. So what you feel and then you express, and what is picked up isn't necessarily the same thing. So barring, barring that you know, general communication issue, you have to consider that what you've labeled as depression is 
not the same necessarily as what other people are labeling as depression. There's an issue there because the solution will be different. But beyond all of that, you've now got this focus on curing depression itself, like capital D depression, as opposed to addressing each issue. Because like I said, the label helps globally, but does it help you specifically? It helps, for example, certain medications might help people with depression. Certain treatment options might help people with depression. And they might help you. But they don't help everyone with depression. It's a percentage game, right? So it's a bit of a guessing thing. The doctor goes, okay, well, you've got depression. And they look up the book. They consider their notes. They consider their experience and go, okay, of the thousands of people that have been treated for depression, this medication works. This psychological therapy style works. And then they try it. Here, have this medication. Come back and let me, let's check the symptoms. Here, take this therapy. Come back and check the symptoms, right? And let's say you do, do that, go away, come back, and your symptoms have reduced to a level that's below the threshold of what defines as depression. You no longer have it. Bang, cured. It works. Data gets added. Oh, not cured. Try again, try again, try again. Data being added until they find something that works for you. But this is very sort of top-down, non-individualistic approach to therapy. And it's, it's a bit, it's a bit freaky because let's say your condition is something that, you know, quote, isn't curable. Maybe you've been diagnosed with something like a borderline personality disorder, which was suggested for me at one stage. And I say suggested because that since has changed, but with some personality conditions and other mental conditions, you, um, quote unquote, can't be cured. But what happens if you're misdiagnosed? into having a condition that apparently can't be cured, right? So you've got this collection of symptoms that are not fun to live with, that are impacting your life, that are impacting your functionality, but you can now not be cured because that's just the nature of the condition. Well, if you've been misdiagnosed, you may stop trying, despite the fact that you may be able to make a move in some areas right? Certain conditions are supposed to stick around and stay forever. But if you, if you look at other people with, you know, the condition that you've been diagnosed with, you might sort of get inadvertently swayed or inspired by their outcomes. This many people with this condition get cured, or these people just have to learn to deal with it. Take um, any sort of autistic spectrum disorder, right? ASD, um, what used to be known as Asperger's versus, you know, level one, two, three, whatever they've got now. That can't be cured. People have to learn to deal with it. But if you've been given the diagnosis of ASD, you're like, oh, crap, this is me now forever. Like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess I can't. I just have to deal with it. I have to learn. I have to, you know. But the problem is, is there's a massive crossover between conditions. Someone with complex PTSD might present with issues that look like depression, might present with issues that look like ASD, might present with issues that look like BPD, right? Because there's a massive crossover between conditions and there's a lot of comorbidity. Does the person have autism or do they have ADHD? Which one's accounting for their focus issues? Well, maybe they have neither. Maybe those labels are just a word used to describe a collection of symptoms and what you're experiencing is unique to you. 
I mean, the whole field of psychology is a new field, right? It's, it's new to now, very recently. And you know what else is new to now? Like you know, power, big cities, um, you know, mega cities with millions of people. Capitalism on a worldwide scale, globalization, the, the potential for world ending apocalypses with our military arsenals, global recessions, the internet, right? Like, like we can keep drilling down on just how different modern society is from the past. But whether this is still the same animal that existed, you know, a thousand, two thousand, five thousand years ago, right? What I'm getting at is these labels, these words, these collections of symptomology, it doesn't, they're just collections. They're just groupings of feelings that are arising or symptoms that are arising in the individual that are being then collated and put back and then put onto the person saying, hey, you've got this. I've had issues with psychologists because they've attempted to label me. You've got this problem. But then I see a different psychologist or a different therapist and they, I present to them the same, and then they label me differently. And that's an issue, because, like, what do I have? Well, maybe I don't have any of those things. Maybe, collectively, you could say that I have ASD, PTSD, BPD, depression, whatever it is. Or maybe I have an issue. Maybe my functionality is a problem. I want to try and sort of flip this on its head and look at the, <sighs> look at it from a bottom-up approach. Okay, so you've got issues with sleep. You've got issues with motivation. You've got sex drive issues. Well, let's pick apart all of these things and look at ways that we can address them. I've written a self-help book called How to Get Your Shit Together. And in it, I give, it's maybe 50 to 60 chapters long, and each chapter is standalone. And what I hope to do with that book was take bits of advice I've gotten from many other self-help books and just condense it. And what I realized in writing it and reflecting upon it was that, well, a lot of self-help books give contradictory advice. One will say, you know, do meditation on loving kindness on the world and on yourself. Others will say, you know, you need to block out all thoughts. Others will need or will suggest you need to have goals, set goals, organize yourself. Others will say, do self-care and relax. Like, it goes on and on. But what I've realized is that all of it works, but also none of it works. So what I hope to do and what I've realized is that you sort of take a look at everything, learn to introspect, and then apply that ability to yourself and instill each solution when it's needed. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't get therapy. I'm not saying that you shouldn't take medication. By all means, get a therapist and a doctor and all that stuff on board. What I am suggesting is that you be cautious about falling into the label as a whole. If you were diagnosed with a condition, you are not that condition. You are someone that has a collection of symptoms that is globally known as depression or as BPD or whatever it is. But you're much more than that. And how your condition is expressed is unique to you. 
Thus, the solutions to your problems will be unique to you. And I'd strongly suggest further that you find a therapist that understands this and that's on board with it. My first experience of dealing with depression was to see to a doctor, and the doctor put me to a psychiatrist, and within 15 minutes of seeing that psychiatrist, I was on a antidepressant medication. No talk of how long I would be on for it, no talk of any sort of psychotherapy or talking therapies or any lifestyle changes, just here you go. And I think that's a fucking letdown, <laughs> to be honest, right? I was in a vulnerable state and it's like, hey, have this medication. And there's this sort of vague notion of a sort of like a, a chemical imbalance sort of situation happening. You know, this will help tweak your brain chemicals. Well, maybe. And yeah, for some people, that is exactly what they need. But I mean, was I exercising? Just to straight up, did I have an exercise regime in place? Did I know the value of exercise? Because I tell you what, I know from personal experience, both with myself and many people, like exercise is massive. Cool. Was I drinking? Was I taking drugs? Was my diet on point or was it terrible? Because I can tell you once again, with personal experience, those things matter. What was my home life like? Did I have PTSD-like flashbacks to past trauma that I didn't know how to process? Was I stressed over money or school or work, right? None of these things were really addressed. So whilst I was given the diagnoses of depression and a treatment for depression, unsurprisingly, it didn't work. It didn't help. Why not? Because the things that were causing the collective symptoms of quote unquote depression weren't being addressed. And it took me years and years and years of different therapists and reading my own things and all of this sort of stuff to figure this out that it's like, okay, I might have things that fit in a label, but the solution isn't going to be cookie cutter. The solution has to be unique to me. And that might involve some traditional approaches. It might involve some abstract approaches. It might involve me having to shop around for therapists until I get one that understands what I'm talking about here. I still haven't quite hit the nail on the head here, and I'm, I'm going to sort of switch into a different discussion of label, right? Let's talk race for for a moment. You know, there's there's a lot of um, racial issues in every country, but you know, particularly in America, in the news seems to be like it's a massive uh, clusterfuck of issue. But like, what is or how do you define or what is classified as a certain race or not? We're talking about like Black Lives Matter movement. Well, at what line is someone considered, quote unquote, black to fit that movement? Or to need, you know, representation? At what point are they not? And there's been a bunch of stories of people, you know, skirting that line on either way or, you know, jumping down into a place where they perhaps shouldn't and been like, you know, crucified in the media for identifying as a race that they're not. But if you're honest here, you need to realize that there's, there's a certain, what, maybe what a percentage of heritage that you need to take into account, or is it upbringing? Is it the literal visual color of the skin that we're talking about? Is it the lived experience? Is it the name? Is it your heritage? What, what defines race? Sounds obvious, but when you think about it, it's quite hard, particularly if you have to put in a firm definition. Or if you apply what we're talking about with this podcast's example, it's the lived experience. Because someone's 
lived experience of race and racism and the impacts of that will differ very much so from another person. You know, within the same town, within the same country, within the same world, people's races and the impact of that race will impact differently. And thus, the solution to the problem needs, you know, once again, like like you might do, say, a global survey of your country, a census, and go, okay, we have this many people of this ethnicity, this many people of this race, this this many people of X, Y, Z. But each individual, you know, if, if some individual identifies as African-American of origin or, you know, Native, Native American or Hispanic or Italian or, you know, whatever the, whatever the classifications are, it's still a bit shifty when you get down to the individual. Because if someone has, you know, 5% of a certain race, let's say someone is 95% Italian, and 5% African-American, as an example, in their heritage. And someone has the same 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 genetic upbringing, but is only 2% African-American, or is 20% African-American. Well, would you consider them black? Would you consider them African-American? Would you consider them Italian, right? Because in all cases, the majority percentage is quote-unquote white. But then you go, okay, well, Italian wasn't considered white until like, you know, the 40s or whatever it was, right? So it's like, where, where do we draw the line here? It's very hard. It's very, it's very confusing. Cause, and then you have to sort of go to the lived, individual lived experience. Let's switch again to something more personal to me. Gender. I, I've talked on the podcast before about my own issues with, I suppose, gender fluidity. But I'm, 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 I'm loath to give it a label because the moment I start defining myself via a label, then I fit into, or you'll start to judge me or it's sort of put into that box. Is my, is my feelings of my own gender fluidity? I, sometimes I feel masculine. Sometimes I feel feminine. Sometimes I feel neutral. I have a collection of symptoms that around, and I call them symptoms, but like maybe feelings, whatever you want to describe around my own gender and the expression and the internal feeling of this space inside me. And I could look for one of the many endless definitions, you know, in the LGBT plus LGBTQ plus uh, thing that keeps expanding to try and find the perfect label for me, but I'm not going to. And the reason I'm not going to is that I'll end up coming up with a label. Let's say I identified as trans or gender binary non-binary or gender fluid or queer or bisexual or whatever, whatever label you, you know, like I end up landing on, it doesn't matter because the answer is the same. The thing is, is that once again, that label fits a, or is used to describe a collection of feelings, of symptoms, of expressions of the individual. And then you go, okay, well, I look at all the things I'm feeling and I look at those labels over there, this, this long list of whatever they are, and I best fit this box. Look at me. That's my gender identity. But I don't, I don't like that. I don't like it because it does a couple of things. It polarizes people. It's, it, it makes us into an us versus them thing. Well, I'm trans. Well, I'm queer. Well, I'm bi. I'm straight. I'm gay. I'm cis. I'm the, you're all just people, right? We're all just people. I am me. And inside my brain, for whatever reason, 
Sometimes my gender feels like it's misaligned with my body. Sometimes I feel like I'm inheriting or I've got this sort of feminine energy. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I feel hyper-masculine. Some days I don't feel any of that. And it's just sort of like gender doesn't even pop into my mind. You know, and maybe what I'm describing to you will fit a certain label that I'm unaware of. But the point is, is even if you apply whatever that label is, like let's say that label's gender fluid and I just haven't considered it, right? There might be a more more appropriate label for whatever I'm describing to you. The problem is, is you'll hear these words and go, oh, Zach's gender fluid. Am I? Or is that just what you're interpreting gender fluid to mean and also what you're interpreting what I'm saying to you right now to mean and then putting those two things together like a doctor would diagnose depression, right? Because I tell you what, whatever label you decide to put upon me, I will be more than that for a couple of reasons. One, who and what I am is far more than a simple label. Secondly, I can't possibly communicate with you all of the complex things that I'm feeling inside. It's impossible. We don't have enough time. I don't have the words. And nor even if I did, can I assume or be ensured that those words will be interpreted and understood in the way that I want them to be understood by you in the first place. Right? So... So, so what I'm getting at here is that there's a, there's an issue with all of this sort of stuff. There's an issue with labels. And I would prefer to see a place where we all look at ourselves from an individualistic perspective and then move into that space of getting by in life, improving our functionality, finding people to connect with from a place of individualism. This is what I need to improve my functionality. Or I'm struggling in this place. But the problem comes, we instantly hit this wall of going, okay, well, I feel quite alone because literally you're an individual, right? Do other people feel what I feel? I don't know, because only I feel them, right? So they don't. So then we turn to labels. Okay, well, maybe queer people or gender gender fluid people or trans people or, you know, insert label here for mental illness, whatever it is. Maybe they will understand somewhat of what I'm doing or what I'm feeling. But they can never feel exactly what I'm feeling, right? Because there will be a difference between what they're feeling and what I'm feeling. Because there has to be. Life is a spectrum. Personality, mental illness, everything is a matter of degree. Right? Like, like if we just talk straight like attraction... You speak to most people and they will identify as straight, right? The majority of the world is quote unquote straight. But once again, that is just a label. Because like, if you asked a straight guy or a straight girl to rank the attractiveness of a set of guys or girls, you know, the thing that they are, let's say we go girls to girls and guys to guys. Hey guys, hey straight guys, here's five guys that I want you to rank. One of them's a supermodel. One of them's a homeless person, right? I'm being very cliched here and I apologize. But like, like one of them's clearly aesthetically pleasing. The other's clearly not, right? By cultural standards. And you have a, you have a rank. You have, you have a bunch of pictures of people of varying degrees of attraction. Those straight men will be able to roughly rank those men on levels of attractiveness. Now, their ranking system might be different to my ranking system and different to your ranking system, but they'll be able to do it. They'll be able to rank attractiveness. But the fact that they can suggests that 
there's a very, very, very small part of them that understands what an attractive man looks like, that is aesthetically gravitating towards one over the other. They've done tests on this, you know, flash tests where the, the images pop up so quick that the conscious brain can't even process the thought. And they measure responses, you know, eye dilation, all of this sort of stuff. And what do they discover? Straight people will respond to varying degrees. People that identify as straight will respond varying degrees to people of their own gender in terms of attractiveness. People that aren't attractive doesn't get as much of a response as people that are attractive. Same thing for girls. Girls with girls identify as being straight. The point I want to make here is that sexuality, gender, mental health, race, everything is a spectrum. It's complex. It's individual. So to self-identify into a label is to trap yourself. Does that sort of make sense? Like, even with like, like, what am I, what am I doing here? What, what is my role? What is my job? Am I a podcaster? Am I a poet? Am I a writer? Like, what, what am I? When people ask, what do I do for a living? It's like, well, I do disability support work. I write, I do that. I have to, or I feel obliged to label. When I sort of want to just say, I'm being me. I'm doing me. This is, I'm just sort of trying to live as an expression of myself. And maybe all of this feels like a big nitpick. Maybe all of this is just like, you know, dude, like just, you're a writer and you're gender fluid and you're a white male in Australia. And, you know, like, Yeah, yeah, you can apply those labels to me, and they will tell you certain characteristics of me, and it will give you a good guess statistically, like I should live to this much time, I have this much risk of suicide, I will earn this approximate income, right? But they're all averages, they're all stats, they're not real or true to me, and it doesn't help me to live a more functional, happy existence, necessarily. But then it sort of does, because if I want to get help, if I want to get Connection. I do have to label myself to reach out. Oh, I want to. I want to find people in my community. Well, what is my community? I then have to label myself. So we're in a bit of a bind here. We're in a bit of a twist. What I'm sort of ending up, sort of leaning towards, is this idea of like, okay, I am, I'm an individual, and I'm looking at myself from a bottom-up perspective. These are the component parts that make up me. And they can be broken down infinitesimally, fractalized. But I can also put myself together. Okay, I, in general, I am this. These are the problems I have which would label me in this diagnosis, right? But it's hard. You know, we go, we go down the kinky space. You know, if you follow my um, BDSM kinky community, um, Instagram or the Kinky Conversations podcast, you'll see that I'm talking about a whole variety of this sort of stuff. And everyone sort of identifies down certain paths. But when you dig into it, well, someone that identifies as a dominant or a sub or into certain fetishes, there's nuance to every one of them. But they're all labels as well. It's, It's everywhere. And the same thing in that community. You know, like, oh, we can talk about our shared experience. But can you? Well, yeah. But there comes to a place where it is just down to you and your experience. And I just feel that there's a risk of putting yourself after the stats and the label. And I think that's a, there's a risk there. If 
you get diagnosed with depression or whatever it is, never forget that you are the individual that has been diagnosed with depression, right? Like you, you are more than the label and perhaps that label is wrong or perhaps that label is changed. Perhaps it will change in the future because like, you know, diagnoses change. Perhaps you will change and come out of it. Perhaps the way that your condition is expressed isn't a death sentence in the way that it is for other people. Just bringing it back to mental illness. Like I said, I've been labeled with a variety of different mental illnesses. Now, apparently, borderline personality disorder is uncurable. Apparently, autism is uncurable in the sense of you have to learn to live with both. You need strategies. I've been labeled with both. I've been labeled with anxiety and depression and ADHD, right? The the diagnosis keeps shifting. But then we sort of, with better psychologists and therapists, looked into my past. And it's like, oh, it seems like you've got a history of complex trauma, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. That's the label. Now, that seems to be the label that best fits because it's like all of these little things can then express themselves as all of these other things. Why don't I like eye contact while I'm scanning the room for danger? Hmm? Makes sense? Why am I anxious? Well, I grew up in a household with drug addicts always there, these neurotic, potentially volatile individuals. Hmm. Why do I struggle with social norms and conventions? Well, the parental influences in my life didn't understand social influences themselves, so I didn't, I had to sort of learn it for myself. But do you see how these, these sort of, like, like, why, why do I struggle to trust people? Well, it makes sense when you know my past, right? So do I have these conditions or is it a factor of my past? Does my past cause those conditions to be expressed? Like it's, there's a lot of complex issues here. And the best psychologists I've had sort of, they don't go into the diagnostic perspective. It's, it's the best one. The, the, the therapist that I've got now isn't trying to diagnose me with a condition. She's looking at the problems I'm having in my life, the goals that I want to achieve, the functionality that I want to attain. And we're working on it in that sense. So we don't really talk about like, oh, you've got complex post-traumatic stress or anxiety or whatever it is. Like, yeah, there are aspects to it. And yeah, we can go down different paths in there, but it's more that we look at the symptoms and how to address those symptoms to fix those symptoms. And then another symptom pops up and we look over there and how to address that. Because the reality of my life, my brain, my issues is that they're unique to me. We're going into a process of EMDR. This is like the, the basic crux of it is, is that you look at the therapist and they're moving their hand and you follow their hand and you talk about your trauma. And the idea is, is that the process of looking at the hand moving in space as you're talking sort of uh, unjigs the, the prior labeling and conditioning that you've had over your life. And it could be from one traumatic event or a collection of traumatic events. The process in the lead up to that therapy is to talk about it, to discuss, to work out the narratives that you have built up. So for example, I have a narrative in my mind of I'm alone, I'm responsible, right? I'm in danger, these sort of narratives. And that sort of has framed a lot of the interactions that I've had with other people. So the idea of the therapy is to address those framings. Now, this this isn't talking about like, okay, well, the best way to deal with complex post-traumatic syndrome is to do X, Y, Z, have this medication, do this, that. It's none of that. It's what are you dealing with 
Zach. It's, it's, it's me as in it's client focused. It's patient focused. Does that make sense? And if I was to go into my therapy session and be like, Hey, I'm struggling with this new issue. Okay, cool. We'll address that. We'll pause the therapy. We'll address this thing. And then we'll get back to the therapy if we still need to. That to me seems like it's going to be a lot more successful. Now I want to caveat all of this with, uh, I don't have the label of a therapist. I am not a qualified therapist, right? So potentially all of this stuff is just bullshit, but potentially it's not. Potentially, if you've connected with what I'm saying, potentially, if you're seeing some resonance here, you need to consider just a chat to your therapist team. Like, hey, I know I've got the label of this, but can we, how can we make this, you know, focused on the issues that I have, not just globally dealing with depression or globally dealing with whatever condition you've got. And if you're already receiving such care, congratulations, perhaps you've found a therapist that's worth their salt. But if like me, you've had a shit run of therapists up until five, you know, but I've had some real bad ones, not just this first one. <laughs> um, if you, if you're connecting with what I'm saying here, shop around. Like I'm, I'm a high school teacher by trade and some kids loved me. Some kids hated me. Just like when I was in school, some teachers were awesome and some were shit. But the problem is, is like, I might be someone's favorite, favorite teacher, but I'm others least favorite teacher and vice versa. So what I'm getting at is, is, Find a therapist that suits you and your needs. Yeah? Ask them the hard questions. Dig into them. With my most recent therapist, I approached her and I'm like, hey, this is the history I've had with other therapists. What do you think? Her answer sufficed, right? I said, hey, I'm hyper aware that you get business. Like your return business is predicated on people not getting better, right? As in you get more money if I stay sick. Her answers sufficed to address that problem, right? The, the, the answers that she gave me for these questions aren't the point of this topic, right? And I can address them in a later podcast if you're interested, but it's more that what she and how she addressed my concerns, my personal concerns worked for me. I drilled into it. How do I know if this is successful? Her answers sufficed. Okay. I'm coming to you with all of this neurotic questioning right now. I went meta. Like these questions I'm asking you right now, like, uh, is that helpful? What does that say about me? What does that say about like the system in general? Like, you know, obviously like me even asking these questions is informing you of certain aspects of myself. How do we address that? Her answer sufficed for me personally. If you have this therapist, you might not be addressed, right? Do you get, do you get what I'm saying here? <sighs> Labels suck, but they're also useful. I just want you to be aware that if you have been labeled as something to consider that there might be a bit more to the story. That's all. Anyway, feel free to reach out to me on social media. Check out my other podcast, like I've suggested. Check out the uh, book, How to Get Your Shit Together. Most of it's up for free. I'll put links down to those two things in the show notes below. And if you like this podcast, give it a rate and review. And if you think you know someone would appreciate it or would get something from it, send it to them. Start the conversation. It might literally save a life. On this space, I talk about mental health, mental illness, and I just know I've lost so many people to suicide, and it just keeps fucking happening. Um, at time of recording, uh, last week, I heard a friend had killed himself, and it rocked me. And, you know, like, yes, I should probably put a trigger warning before I said any of that, but you know what? It, it's happening all the fucking time. Um, it's the leading cause of death for men 15 to 45, right, in most countries in the world. 
it happens all the fucking time. And yeah, it's triggering, but also it's happening and we need to be aware of it. So I apologize if I have triggered anyone by just mentioning it, but chances are you'll be more triggered if it happens again, because it will. So I'm not saying to that you have to share what I've got here going on, but I am saying you should probably share or talk or start the conversation. Hey, consider this. Hey, are you okay? Hey, if you ever need to chat, I'm here. Open offer anytime, right? And if they do open up to you and you feel like it's an overwhelming thing, be honest. Say, hey, look, I don't know how to deal with this, but I can help you find people that can help you, right? Like I've opened up to people and I don't expect them to fix the problem. I just want that listening ear followed by some help and guidance to get the help that I clearly needed, right? Maybe you can be that for someone else. I guess the thing is, is that cliche quote is like, I'd rather have an awkward conversation than attend a funeral, right? <laughs> it, it sounds a lot, but I guess it's on my mind. So yeah, um, sorry for the downer, but it's important. It's important to me. Um, and I guess if I had a mission with overall everything I'm doing, even the sort of the disparate kink sex positive stuff, the kinky conversation stuff, it all ties back into mental health, mental illness. It's a, it's a bit of a long bow, but like, like the poetry ties back into that clearly. It's an ex- act of expression. The talk of meditation, the talk of stuff on Skillshare about creative writing, that all ties back into it. The, 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 on the, on the Kinky Conversations podcast, everyone's talking about how BDSM and kinky stuff has helped sort of re, re sort of ascribe their trauma to, to help them to, um, see things in a new light, help them to reclaim their bodies, help them to express themselves, help them to find a community of like-minded people, right? It's all connected. Yeah. And like I said, if I had to sort of put a mission on everything I'm doing, once again, a label, <laughs> um, it would be a, an attempt to help one one person, just one, not in their life. Like as I'm saying this, I've got flashes of the five or so people that I personally know that have ended their own lives in the last few years, and it's 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 hard to process. It leads to like questions of existentialism. It leads to issues of self-doubt like why are we all here it leads to, to questions of mortality and morality and like you know really hard questions like could i should i have i done enough can i do more all of that sort of stuff it's not easy and if you've lost someone i feel for you reach out shoot me a message on social media and if you're feeling like taking your own life shoot me a message reach out on social media i've got a couple of people that i chat to on an app known as voxer it's a voice message app in which basically I'm just checking in with them like, hey, how you doing? Have you considered this? And it's sort of like just some gentle coaching of like, you know, let me know, like like meditate every day. That works for me. That was the core thing. You know, and once again, each solution is different, but it's like, here, here's a few things that have worked for me. Let's all try them and let me know how you're going. Bit of sort of consistency training, bit of coaching for free. You know, it's this sort of pay what you can approach and most people can't afford to pay anything and that's fine right if when money comes feel free to send some my way that is not the fucking point i know that most vulnerable people have the least amount of resources that's why i put everything out there for free that's why i offer that sort of free coaching space if you're struggling if you need a chat you can leave a voice message and i can pl- i can i can listen to it when i'm in a good space and respond i can be like hey well you know i haven't i haven't dealt exactly with what you're dealing with but 
this is what wor- has worked in general. Here's five options. Try them. Tell me what you think of each option. Oh, this one worked. Okay, how can we instill that into your day? Does that sort of make sense? So if you're keen and curious about that, hit me up on social media. Shoot me an email. I'll put the links in, in the show notes and perhaps we can make that happen. And same thing, if you've got someone in your life that you're worried about, that you're that you're concerned for, hit me up. I'll chat to you. I can chat to them. I can't guarantee like, you know, hours of discussion given just the volume, but I can I can offer this um absolute abundance of resources on my website. I can direct you to certain things that I've put up and I can offer a a voice chat coaching sort of situation on Voxer the Voxer app. So anyway, sorry for the downer, um, but it's it's important. So anyway, yeah, like I said, rate and review, share it with someone, check out the links, and yeah, let's do it.